Hey, welcome to another episode of Digging Deeper. Robert here with Brandon, who shared a great message in our Meltdown series on Jonah. Man, when you were kind of preparing through and kind of studying Jonah, what made you land? Because you you camped almost exclusively in the fourth chapter, yeah. the last chapter of Jonah. What, what, what kind of gravitated you towards that section of the story and really kind of like made the meltdown come to life as you were studying it and internalizing it on your own? When I was looking at it, I saw that there was this great illustration I could have in the middle of my message. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought to myself, if I camp out on chapter four, I could use Robert to be a worm on stage and it will be perfect. That's actually true. (laughs) If if you want a a behind-the-scenes look, literally Sunday morning, um, earlier in the week, Brandon texts me and goes, can you find me a big leaf? And I'm like, absolutely, I'll find you a big leaf. So I find him a big leaf, and and then Sunday morning, he's like, I had this idea. I need you to do the warm <laughs> no, no, no. on the stage. I didn't say you. you I s- said I'm thinking about getting a volunteer to come up if they can do the worm. And then you go, I can do the worm. Yeah. And I was like, even better. Yeah. <laughs> so that I, is what happened. I, yeah, that's what happened. But So that was Brandon's. Um, and then he commanded me and said, you must like do the warm. Just And then he started calling me warm on stage. I'm sure you saw all that. <laughs> I'm just joking. No. He's not joking. I really did call him warm he on did, stage, did, but I didn't but command you to do anything. Oh, no, and it, it was not demeaning. Seriousness of yeah. this. Um, How did you? Really, because I feel like that, I mean, I feel like that this chapter four is when Jonah says he wants to die three different times. Yes. Like he has the meltdown here. Like chapter one, when he runs from God, you could say there's there's a meltdown there. There's a meltdown. Um, but I just... Man, when you get to the point of like just wanting to end your life and you're getting so upset and and it kind of does have this temper tantrum feel to it. Um and I and I think that just in preaching the book of Jonah previous and different times, kind of knowing the arc of it, it's yeah. the main crux of Jonah and what the author's intent is really encapsulates there in chapter four. So that's that's where the way I landed there. That's true. Yeah. And and yet I, I thought it was fascinating and I thought it was kind of a twist. Because so often when Jonah is is preached or taught, there's this focus on Jonah, the guy who ran away from God. Like that would be like the first meltdown that comes to mind yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I thought it was so insightful. And and honestly, it, it was a great message that was so applicable and relatable right now mm. um, to my life. I'm I'm guessing to your life, to everyone. If you if you didn't listen to it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's a great message. But it was so insightful to actually look at that meltdown. Um, in a whole different avenue and look at it from that perspective as well. And and you kind of talked about this idea of the Ninevites and and how much, you know, the the thesis statement of your message basically was, you know, the meltdown that happens when you feel like injustice has in, in occurred, right? Yeah, yeah. And so for, for Jonah, he really felt like the injustice was that the Ninevites were going to get mercy, right? That God's abounding love, and yeah, you're funny, during that whole section, <laughs> you're like, abounding in love, and, and well, you know, that whole deal, so gracious, but, uh, you know, you kind of went to... How dare you be so loving? Why would you be so My forgiving? wife says that to me all the time. Does she? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, I say the same things, you know, so there's a common theme for people in your life, but I'm joking. But, you know, so, but you kind of talked about and said, you kind of challenged and, and put it back on us and said, you know, so what are your Ninevites? Yeah. What, are, what are the people groups or the people or the, um, the individuals or the, even the things that make you like almost 
throw mercy and forgiveness to the wind and say, I just want justice. I want what's fair and so forth. And so I got to ask. Who are my Ninevites? Who are your Ninevites? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Um, I don't have particular people by name. Uh, at this point, like I'm sure there's oh, yeah. uh, there's other moments I would have said, "Hey, that particular person feels like an invite to me." I Mine are more like names. straw men and women right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking before we started here, like uh, you know, I, yeah. I can get in trouble with some of this stuff. I maybe um, my Ninevites right now are the pushers of cultural revolution um, that are not as empathetic as they seem to indicate um, and are more demanding that the way that they believe life should be lived or permissions that should be granted should be uh, adhered to and accepted by all people um, and not necessarily respecters of other people's convictions. That's extremely vague. I would say you're being really Um, vague. I know because we had a conversation before this. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that like it's a hard thing because the minute I say... Right now, like sometimes the, um, I would say the transgender movement. I would not okay. say the LGBTQ plus movement. Um, I don't necessarily equate the way in which certain things are happening in the transgender movement mm-hmm. as being at the same level of what has taken place now or previous um, when those who are advocating for, for same-sex relationships. Um, I think that in those realms, like the scriptures speak pretty clearly um, on what God would deem to be best. And I know there are people who have very strong disagreement with that. Um, I'm okay to say that we may see this differently. Um, my ethic would be that we would still figure out how to cooperate and to love and to be kind and gracious in that process mm-hmm. versus demanding. And I feel like that sometimes on a cultural level, I have not experienced this on an individual basis, like that somebody has said that you have to... So it's a cultural level, you mean like in the media? In the media. Politics. Yeah, and and that that this is a constant push, and even in educational circles and academic university settings, like that this is something that you have to believe. And if you don't believe this, you're a part of the problem. You're the one that's naive. You're the one that... um, is is uneducated and primitive because you still hold to the values espoused in that ancient book that we all know is just phony baloney. You know, like those are types of That's things that really they 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 infuriate me, and mm-hmm. I want to have meltdowns because it's like, wait, where's the common decency, and where's the you're talking about having this inclusivistic like attitude, but at the same time, this is an inclusion. This is indoctrination, and you're saying this is what has to be believed. Um, now, they may say the same thing, and I don't yeah. like saying he, they, she, like these, these pronouns, like <laughs> pronouns in themselves, you know, like, but I'm, but I'm saying like that, that it, that there's a lack of civility, and I don't want to respond with a lack of civility in that, even though I feel great pressure okay. that I'm supposed to conform in this, regard, in this regard, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Do you feel like almost a temptation to, like when you see those posts on Facebook or something like that, I know that you don't have Facebook anymore, but when you did, <laughs> did you ever feel the pressure be like, someone's got to stand no, up for what's right. I got to no, respond to no, this. And no, okay. No, that's not me. I just, because the, I, I have no problem in the, in the public forum and public square in person. Yeah. Speaking in those things, because in those, in those, in those arenas, uh, through those mediums, 
I can read body language. I can hear intonation of people's voices. I can actually sense or feel compassion, empathy, or anger. I can't when, in, when I'm typing and reading. So it's like, for me, it's just like, I don't find it very fruitful to engage okay. in that in that uh, that new form of public uh, square, which is seems to be the most prevalent. Absolutely, um, social square. Absolutely, and, you know. Yeah, communication and technique. So, um, and I don't I don't think that that's the end all be all. The most important thing to like right now, like have to like be for or be against. You know, like there's other things. So I don't let it preoccupy everything I'm doing. Yeah, but it just feels like in everything I do that has to do with some type of online media or TV or news, like that is the most predominant topic that seems to be pretty like, um, pushed, pushed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it feels like a little bit like an injustice is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Say where it's kind of like the moment I say even that group, I'm not saying I see them on par with the Ninevites in terms of like these people that like exercise brutal, uh, things in the lives of the Israelites and were violent. Like I'm not, I'm not equating that at all. Okay. Just, I hope that's clear okay. to everyone else. Yeah, it was clear I'm to me. Not equating but... that at all. So I, you just got to like be overly clear because yes. someone can quickly take a sound, sound bite. bite and yeah. take it with you. But if, I mean, yeah. if you watch the message and I, again, I encourage you to, um, Brandon, you gave a bunch of different examples of Equal different people's opportunity <laughs> offender. You really emphasize that, you Equal know, opportunity offender. I want everyone to know I am trying to get underneath everyone's skin in this room. And so he, he picked on every <laughs> polarized side of every disagreement, yeah. argument yeah. and so forth. You know, sometimes for me, the Ninevites in my life, quote unquote, um, oftentimes happen in like the most mundane things, like on the freeway, right? <laughs> We're like, you Ninevite! We're, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I scream at, at people as they cut me off and I'm like, you Ninevite! That might be a good way to actually like start to express our, our frustration because most people be like, what did you, yeah, what what did you, did you call say? me? A Ninevite, Ninevite. <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, there's moments like that too where I think that we can almost dehumanize people yeah. Um, and so whether it's in the car or whether it's, you know, someone cuts in front of you in line somewhere or, you know, someone takes the last bit of something or takes all of something that you needed something of at the store because there's some kind of pandemic going on or something like that. But those are the things where when you feel like someone is being unfair, that you can start to dehumanize people. And I think that was your point of really kind of this idea of a Ninevite where we lose our compassion quotient because our justice meter gets yeah. elevated so high. Yeah. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Anytime you remove the flesh and blood from someone and, mm-hmm. and bring them back to a particular stance or category, then there's dehumanization. Yeah. So, And I find that um, it's easier for me and maybe for other people to identify who my Ninevites are. But you posed this question at the end that kind of reversed it. And you said, what are the times that you've been a Ninevite? Yeah. And you didn't give any examples. You didn't give us that, that whole list of examples. <laughs> and so I want to know, what are some examples of how we ourselves can end up becoming Ninevites? Well, I mean, if, if one of the atrocities of the Ninevites was their dehumanization of people... Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime we choose to just look at someone, perhaps it's sitting on the side of the street and yeah, not have something in our chest. We might not be able to help every single person, but to be like, oh, that's their fault. Oh, the drug addict, idiot. Yeah. Stuff like that. Those those are moments that that like I am exercising the same, the same heart position that led to what the Ninevites did. 
Um, I would say um, that there's ways in which we are Ninevites just in our actions when we go our own way versus what God said is best in His way. Like, we are essentially rebelling against the Creator, saying that we know what's better. And so any aspects of disobedience... Yeah. Um, because one of the aspects I think to be fully obedient to God is to be fully human. So to be disobedient to God is to start to move towards dehumanization. So when we live in a state of disobedience, yeah. we're dehumanizing both others around us and ourselves. So to me, that that's how are you an Ninevite in your own right? It's like when I'm disobedient to God. Man, that was philosophical. That was, that was, <laughs> I was, that was tapping deep. into some Doctor Goodman. That, right was, there. that was a good stop, man. That was. I was like, that <laughs> There's was your deep. sound clip, Dawson. That was so <laughs> deep. There you go. Now he knows. But you know, it's still kind of like you know, as we're as you're talking yesterday during the message, and even as you're talking now, there's still pieces of me inside somewhere that are like, it still seems unfair, right? Oh, like yeah. where there's like you know, you want justice to happen, and you're kind of like, if things are wrong, like then there should be like some kind of balancing of the scales and things like that. But mercy isn't always fair, right? It doesn't necessarily, we don't get what we deserve. Thank goodness. Right. Like that's, and you kind of even said that, like should Brandon Grant get what he deserves? Like, I hope not, you know, like, cause I'm doomed if that's the case. Right. I could say the same thing. Should Robert Pedroza get what he deserves? I hope not. Cause then I'm doomed. And so, but this idea of fairness is still a high value. I think for us as human beings. Yeah. Um, And yet, there's moments in life where it feels like God isn't fair, right? And that's kind of Jonah's lamentation right here. He's kind of like, it's not fair. These Ninevites, they they hurt my people. They don't deserve, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is a, a specific time in your life where you experience maybe God not being as fair as you would hope, or at least according to your definition or your perspective of what fairness would look like? I mean, the thing that came, comes to mind on an individual level first is I remember when I was, and this is right when I was a senior in high school, and I've mentioned this many times over, when I was arrested for drinking and driving. It was only the, I think it was the second time I'd ever drank in my life. And and here I am getting arrested, staying the night in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had tons of peers that drank way more than two times in their life. And, and, like, and here I'm the one that, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm like, why, why did I get caught? Yeah. Why am I the one that has to have the example set for them and all that kind of stuff? And so I remember... Even at that time, I wasn't a Christian. Um, I believed in God, but I hadn't given my life to Christ. Uh, I still remember being angry in the jail cell that night, um, being like, "Why? Why? This, what in the oh, world?" Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So that's why uh, it led to me being invited to church and eventually becoming a follower of Jesus. Um, I think now, I'm sure there's other examples, but I, as I was mentioning to you, I think more in terms of really empathetic sides of, um, I, I resonate with where Jonah came, where Jonah's complaint and his meltdown was, is, was really based towards the character of God. And so I think mm-hmm. in terms of like, so here, here to, to bring this full circle to what I said earlier about like where you felt like where I have the most uh, frustration, who's my Ninevites. Yeah. I also probably have the greatest empathy there because someone who is born with same-sex attraction, man, I would understand if they wanted to rail and be upset with God. Hmm. Because my proclivities to give in to certain sin don't prohibit me from being with someone I love. And that one does, scripturally. So I would be like, 
that's not fair. You're a loving God, then why why can't why can't this like potential attraction go away, or why can't I exercise this? And that's hard. I I, I hard. if I'm a Palestinian right now, I what did I do to wake up on this side of the planet in the yeah. midst of this generational discord between two nations, and now I have to like somehow shelter my kids from bombs that I don't I don't care one side or the other really. I just what did I do? Yeah. And I thought you were loving. I thought you were provi- like, where are you? Like, those are those are things that can really send me down like some pretty dark places as far as like questioning God's character. When I try to put myself in situations that I am not in, but if I were in, yeah. I understand why there's hurt, pain, confusion, frustration, and lament. We need to talk about that, I think, because I think that there's a lot of people listening and a lot of people in general right now that are asking questions just like that, right? Like, if God is good, like, how about these circumstances? You brought up two great examples of that. When you kind of start to come to those thoughts or questions, how do you, because I think a lot of Christians, this is what trips them up and even sends them down. You kind of mentioned this rabbit hole or this spiral, so forth. Some Christians will be swallowed up by those kind of questions and not know how to, like, reconcile that with the idea of what this book says about who God really is and how his goodness is there. How do you as a Christian, as a mature Christian believer, navigate questions like that and still come to the conclusion that God is good, God is just, and God is best? I mean, I think for me it starts with a more robust definition of what's good. Explain that. Well, I think a lot of times we just think good in terms of what's best for me, what benefits me, what somehow gives me happiness, pleasure, fulfillment, flourishing, which that is a part of being good. But the more robust side is like, there's also things that I see in Scripture, or even personally, right? I was arrested. Yes. That's that's not good, but it was good. Yes. So I I have to put both of those categories in the one definition of good, to make it more comprehensive. And and when I look at the breadth of Scripture, I, I see God's goodness more in that robust term versus the narrow side of just like, what's for my best? Mm-hmm. Um, I take time to try to, to evaluate, okay, this happened in this particular era, or this happened to this particular person or people, what came out of that? And did God, as Scripture's promised, work in that and through that to bring about the good? Yeah. Um, and you know sometimes it is like people think and operate differently when i when i look at the scales and i and i start to measure like what has come out of something that's good or how god works for the good like i find more evidence saying yeah that this this is true um i also would would just say that you know i think that oftentimes oftentimes it's okay to like acknowledge that you're not okay and frustrated with this and share that with other people and not try to keep it to myself and help other people speak into the situation. So I've, I've taken okay. in a lot of voices at times to say like, help me, help me in this and help me see this from a different perspective um, versus trying to just keep it to myself. Okay. Um, you know, I, I can't say definitively that like I can give you the end all, like because I can... I can go there and I can get like really sunk in there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, thankfully I, I, I have a life 
that has given me a lot of credibility in what I believe. But not everybody has that life that gives them that credibility, and they still feel like, well, I did all these things, but where was God? Because the, the, the tables haven't turned in my direction like I thought they would. So when you say you have a life that gives a lot of credibility, are you saying that you've seen God's blessing show up in your life? <sighs> to which I would, y- yes. Okay. How it's not the only blessing, but like I have had fortunates. I have had God intervene. I have had God in a miraculous way reveal to me my wife and give me an incredible mm-hmm. person to live with. I, I have had four healthy children at this point yeah. that are that are I don't have to worry about all the medical complications currently or psychological aspects. Like um I I've God's given me favor in the ministry realm to lead a good life, make a good salary, to have a good living. Those types of things. Yeah. It's easier to process the goodness of God when life is good for you. And I think that a part of me then, the other piece of it is like, how do I how do I work through it? I just, I have a lot of, I like to think I do. I have a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness mm-hmm. where, I, where I know what I don't deserve, what I do that people don't know that I do, what I think, what people know I don't think. In areas where I'm like, at the end of the day, I know I am sometimes as much a part of the problem as I'd like to believe the solution. And that helps me balance out my frustration because I, my circumstances and my setting might help me not give way to some of the things dark within me. Yeah. But if I had that darkness within me and my setting was, going back to the other example, like Palestine or something like that, I mean, it very or or just poverty or feeling like I'm on the opposite side of a race issue like those things would quickly infuse infuriation and frustration and what's going on but like I feel like sometimes the balance for me comes because of the life I have and I didn't I don't know what to say like I'm just being honest like that and that I I appreciate uh, that honesty one thing I'm baffled by and and also in awe of amazed by is, is when you look at like, for instance, Christians in India that are living in great poverty. Like when we talk to like Shankar, who Mm -hmm. you're going to get to hear his name a little bit more. He's going to be someone we're going to partner with for Christmas offering stuff. I don't want to give all that stuff away, but no, I've already already announced it. Okay. I was was like, did I just get that away? Okay. But you know, like when we talk to him and, and listen to, you know, people that are living in oftentimes extreme poverty in India, and the faith that they have in oh, the man. goodness of God, despite their circumstances. Absolutely. And and sometimes almost it gives them a perspective to be able to see what's good even clearer. Yeah. You know, you talked about in their message yesterday, you talked about this idea of when we're comfortable, then that shade leaf is over us, then then maybe we're not as like infuriated by injustices. Yeah. Right. Our justice meter isn't as alarmed. Yeah. But as soon as we're uncomfortable, then we start throwing our fits and things like that. I couldn't help but think about those third world countries and think about how the Christians sometimes like by all intents and purposes, they are not comfortable, but they will find comfort in a different perspective in a deeper way. And I feel like they've unlocked something that I for one want, you know? And, um, and so I, you know, I, I don't know if you have any insights on that, but, or what that is or how to kind of gain that in, in today's westernized, you know, environment that we are in because we are by all intents and purposes, pretty comfortable. We start to get uncomfortable when gas prices get high, right? (laughs) Like if they had a car that would like 
change their generational wealth in some other countries sure. and places. And so it's just a matter of perspective and, you know, you know, it's relational to what you have and what you've always had as well, you know? And so how do you feel like materialism, comfort, and all these different things kind of like play into um, our definition of what's fair and unfair? Oof. I know it's a layered question, but... Uh, how does it play into our definition of fair and unfair? I mean, I, I think that because we're accustomed to having so many luxuries and amenities that those aren't seen as gifts. Those are just seen as necessities that we should have. Yeah. And so if we don't have them, we cry, that's not fair. When most of the world will be like, well, then... It's not fair. <laughs> no, yeah. we don't have that. Um, so I think that like we we just have to realize that we're you know like the fishbowl that we swim in is that based with materialism, consumerism, abundance. Yeah. I mean, our poorest of poor are most times richer than the you know the Wealthiest. people in another part of the world. Yeah. yeah. So so I just I, I have to realize that. I also I hate this to admit it, but like. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I just I just know I have a weaker faith than some of those people in India. Hmm. It's anemic. I, I feel like it, it's like like I have some type of deficiency in my spiritual life based upon the setting I live in, and that's just the reality. It's just real. It's just real. Yeah. So I have to own it. I have to repent of it. I have to keep trying to challenge it. I have to put myself in different contexts, different friendships, different relationships, to go to different places to see that what I have is maybe not as common as what I think. Yes. And I also just realized that, like, I can't... I mean, I could live this aesthetic life and and not not have things, not do things, and all this kind of stuff, or, or kind of be like monks or, like, you know, the Desert Fathers and stuff like that. But, like, that's just... I mean, God maybe is going to do that to me. This is not real. Like, I just realized that my faith is not as strong and it's because of the condition of where I live. So I have to I have to grasp even more because of materialism and wealth mm-hmm. to try to find God where they've already found God because they're not clinging to materialism yeah. and wealth. And and it's a richer, purer thing that I can learn from and aspire to and ask for. And it is inspiring to me. It's inspiring to me too. And I think you hit on some of like the ways that we as American Christians can can continue to grow towards that kind of faith too, you kind of talked about what I think is sometimes the greatest weapon against um, a Ninevite mentality. You know, I kind of wrote down in my own notebook this idea of like, how do I change my perspective from seeing people as Ninevites and seeing them as neighbors, right? Because mm-hmm. the other side of that question is, is that You put question, two ins in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had alliterative things there? Yes, yes, Robert? yes. You know, no. Ninevites, neighbors. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the other side of that is like the question, who is my Ninevite? But also, who is my neighbor? Like that's well, the Jesus' definition, question. your neighbor is your Ninevite. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and so so kind of growing towards that, I would say that the biggest combatant against having a Ninevite type of mentality is to be as someone who would be like serving other people, right? Like it's harder to see the person who's dealing with a drug addiction and is living on the street as inhumane or, um, or less than if you're serving them. Right. You start to get Mm -hmm. to know them. You start to go there. And you kind of mentioned that, right? Like the idea of like, you've got to like go and travel to different places and talk to different people and, and, um, open yourself to different experiences and things like that too. How have you seen serving in your own life change your perspective about people or people groups that you have previously labeled as Ninevites? Hmm. Well, I mean, serving when I'm serving 
not just providing a need in the moment and moving on, but like actually getting to like hear their story and yes. know, you know, what precipitated this situation mm-hmm. that that goes back to putting flesh and blood on something and not a category. Like mm-hmm. um, I, I was listening to a podcast, I think last week that uh, Carrie Newhoff did an interview with John Christ. And John Christ was the uh, comedian that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Christian comedian that for a while I had to like take some time off and went to rehab and, and now he's back. But, but what Chris talked about was he thinks every, every person should go to rehab. And he said what he found in the rehab setting was how much more empathy he gained because he said, he goes, I probably listened to a hundred different stories in there of people. And he said, the moment you start to hear their stories, their grievous and heinous actions that you would look at just on, on like, Oh my gosh, that, that person did that. He's like, you you quickly start to like see like oh that happened to them in this time and this is the decision that led to this and, and you start yeah. seeing the 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 pre-scripted story before the actual like carried out and and he said he just he grew a heart for them and I, so i think the the power of one's story and relationship in serving um just it really helps you start to like care about the people in a genuine way um yeah. and and uh yeah, even the people here at Rise City or the people in our community. Anytime I start to befriend or ask converse, or have conversations with some of our um, transient individuals that love to like make their stop here, mm-hmm. it's just different versus if I'm just like, get out of here. Like, I don't yeah. just like, get out of here, but I, just, I pull up and there's like seven or eight of them. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, I can feel my empathy meter change when the story's not attached. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. You know, and the last thing I want to talk about today is. Um, is I think kind of finding that balance because I think Christianity in general swings this pendulum between, um, you might say grace and truth. You could also say judgment and mercy, Ninevites and neighbors, right? You you could kind of whatever you want to define that as. And Christianity, as far as I can tell, has never really done, maybe not never, I shouldn't say that, but it's, they've had a hard time finding a balance between those two things. They'll either, you know, really dig into God as the righteous judge or God as the redeeming savior. And it's like, you know, and, and one side seems to enable a lot of sinful behavior. The other side seems to pedestal self-righteous mentalities, you know, as, as Christians in today's day and age, where we definitely have extremes in our culture, like you kind of pointed out before, how do we find a balance that holds both of those things? That that respects God as the righteous judge, and 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 experiences and, and looks towards His holiness, but at the same time also will embrace His mercy and have a heart like His that's willing to forgive others and see people as neighbors. How do you hold that balance? You just looked at me like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> I'm not thinking you're crazy. Okay, um, that's a hard one because I think personality really causes you to lean. In one direction over the another. Ooh, explain that a little bit. I'm gonna. Sh- um, I mean, I just think that like sometimes, like if if you go with like an enneagram, for example, that's your favorite one. I don't have a favorite. I my daughter Elise is like getting into these personality tests, so she's giving me lots of labels now. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But someone that's like a eight, you know, like they're really like they're justice minded. They're just they're gonna be. They're less. Just like soft around the edges i don't know but then someone who's a two who's a helper they're, they're going to lean in the grace category you know I, I so sometimes you're 
type A, type B personality. Like they just okay. gravitate in one direction over the other. I, I find that a lot of things, the only way that helps is just having awareness, that you have to have an awareness of what grace and truth are, and grace and truth are held together by love, right? And um, I, I, growing up, I've always said this, it's interesting, like I, I don't know if, I'm kind of a mutt in the personality test because all mine are like flatlined. It's like, <laughs> I don't have like, it's like, which can be drive me nuts because at times because I'm just like, I feel like I can relate to a lot of people but do nothing. Um, it's not true. But um, my mom was grace and my dad was truth. Okay. And so my dad was the one who brought a lot of emphasis on like, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what we said, this is the standard. My mom was the one that you come to, like, uh, can you save me from dad? Like, <laughs> and she'd be like, shh, don't tell dad. And you'd yeah. do it, you know? Um, but I watched that grace truth dynamic in my household, and I was really uh, formed in that arena. But what I had is I watched my mom and my dad have an incredible marriage and, mm. and really love each other. And so it was like, they held great respect. My mom held great respect for my dad's truth factor, and my dad held great respect for my mom's grace factor. Ooh, and when both of those were held in equal respect, okay. love was fostered. So if you have the propensity to lean in the truth category, you got to find ways in which that you can figure out how to figure out where grace is at and have respect for it so you can embrace it. And if you're in the grace category, you gotta realize that not everything is just like ooh, warm sunshine and daisies. Like, where's the truth piece? And I just, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just think that sometimes we're not willing to take steps back to think and process and to put ourselves in different camps that are unfamiliar to what we are. Um, but the more we do that, it helps us um, have humility, self-awareness, and I would say scripturally, it's it's love, like it's yeah. grace and truth held together in love. Yeah, empathy is a great word for that. Yeah, idea of of you can be strong in what you know to be true, and still have empathy for those who believe different. And, yeah, and have a conversation, which is what we see. Relationship. Why I think Jesus is the most provocative person ever to walk the planet because he held both those hmm. so well. Yeah, right. He was the embodiment of grace and truth. Yes, he was. And. Um, so that's why we're going to fail. Like We're not always going to get that right because we're not him, but we need him. And the more we have him, I think we move in that direction like him. Well, and that's powerful to know that we have a flesh and blood example yeah. of Jesus who walked amongst us and lived a life just, not just like us, but lived a life you know, in flesh and blood as a human being on earth and did it perfectly. Yeah. And so we have a real life example to watch and try to be like and grow toward. And to know that Jesus was essentially God in the flesh, right? Absolutely, yes. So that is who God is. Yes. That's why I can read one passage in Jonah where he's like, daggone it, you're gracious and merciful and compassionate about your love. And then other times, hey, let's not forget, Sodom he was going to... Well, yeah, yeah. He was going to smoke out the Ninevites. Yeah. Like, let's not forget that. Like, he, there you go. You got 40 days, bro, and if you don't turn, you're going to burn. Like, so, like, there's that side of it, too. Yeah. So both of those aspects of God's character are in that passage. Jonah just didn't like the one aspect in that moment mm -hmm. because that, that aspect wasn't going in his direction. It's true. So, good. Yeah. Well, good conversation, man. Yeah, um, thanks for your questions. Philosophical at times and deep, but a lot of questions. Um, I hope if you're listening that you're encouraged to ask questions. And then also, I love what you said, keep talking to other people about it as you navigate through it and yeah. grow 
to become more faith-filled, trusting in, in God's goodness, all yeah. those kind of things. And I so, got one question before we oh, wrap up. Okay. Um, do you think this table's large enough for those watching on YouTube that you could do the worm real quick? On um, yeah, okay. On <laughs> just a second. So um, if you're listening, I just did it. So that was wow, amazing. Well, that was amazing. Wow. So Man. it was so fast you didn't even see it if you're watching on YouTube. Um, no, that's that's a wrap, man. Yeah. We're done. We're done there? We're done. All right. Well, we'll keep doing meltdowns this week. Pete's going to be talking about the meltdown of Elijah. Oh, man. So meltdowns okay. that take place when sadness and overwhelming circumstances and even depression are prominent and it just shuts you down. So should be uh, really powerful and we'll talk about it next next week on Digging Deeper. We'll see you then. All right.